For the love of fall, Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes and pumpkin cream cold brews are back. Smooth espresso dashed with pumpkin pie spice and velvety whipped cream. Or cold brew topped with pumpkin cream cold foam fit for the season. Your pumpkin awaits. Order today in the Starbucks app. With kids around, me time runs out fast. Don't waste valuable child-free minutes on a drink run. Instead, get Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly has the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Get date night rolling before your parents bring him back. How about a living room slip and paint? They'll never know you stole their crayons. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Ready for the interview and if you get a cue live on a laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, doctor, DPHD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. I became very interested in your background when I came across, I believe, a profile because I love astronomy, physics, science, and then it really pulled me in with the whole aliens, robots, <laughs> science fiction thing. So let's go backwards. I like to go sure. backwards. Where did you get this fascination with all things science? It, I feel like it's always been there since I was a kid. Um, I'm sure my dad had a lot to do with it. He was an engineer and, you know, also enjoyed science fiction. Uh, so I grew up, I'm a child of the eighties means I was born in the early to mid seventies. So I grew up with star Wars and, and that kind of stuff in the background and star Trek. So it was always there. And, and I think, uh, and I gravitated towards it and my dad encouraged me. Yeah. So it was just there. <laughs> What did you like initially about, you know, science in general? And then we'll kind of mm -hmm. go deeper into that. So science in general, I liked a lot of the, some of the hands-on activities and projects, the fact that you could, you could do something and see the results. Like I had a, a chemistry set and you could mix chemicals and get different colors or, or something to happen. Or I had a little I do remember some like a little electronic sets and I loved being able to put wires and batteries together and you could make a light go on and you could have a switch and you had control over that. So th those kinds of things really excited me initially. So how, so how did you get into the astronomy and physics aspect? What drew you into that? Mm -hmm. Well, I was always, as part of this, I was always interested in space yes. and I, I knew from a relatively young age that no matter what I was going to do when I grew up, it was going to be something space related, not necessarily be an astronaut, but something space related. And when I was going towards, you know, heading towards college and thinking about that, normally a lot of people in my situation would have gone on to major in aerospace engineering specifically, but I was very, very nervous about doing that. When I started college, it wasn't too many years after the Challenger disaster. Yeah. And it felt like the industry had, had taken kind of a hit because of that. And I was very worried about, well, what if it happens, something happens again? What if all of a sudden aerospace like goes away and there are no jobs? And then I have this degree, what am I going to do? And I wasn't really interested in the, the aero, the air side. Airplanes yeah. are cool, but that was right. just, I want the space side. So my high school physics professor, he had degrees in physics and he had, had done all these things in his life. And I was like, huh, okay. So if I study physics, I'm not locking myself into one thing. I, I have like a lot of options afterwards. And that was very appealing to me. And where I went to school, you could do double majors. So then I got the astronomy, uh, you know, to kind of round out the space. In this. So yes. I was, I felt like I was doing something space and it, it worked out uh, in the sense that I've been able to do a variety of different space related stuff since um, with that background. Um, most of my, my career is focused more on, on the computer science and, and software programming aspects related to space. And I've been able to do that. Uh, so it's been, it, it worked out the way I <laughs> the way I intended. Luckily. We're, we're going to keep diving deeper because this mm -hmm. is, there's so much to go on this, but one of the things I do, and I think is important to science literacy for mm -hmm. the general public is we throw around astronomy and mm -hmm. physics 
Can you provide a definition of those two things so that the listeners have a good idea what this actually is and they're just not getting thrown this stuff around? Sure, sure. Well, let, let's do, I'm trying to think which order. Let, let's do astronomy first, because uh, in some ways it's, it's easier. Okay. okay. Uh, astronomy really encompasses everything in outer space. It, you know, when we talk about studying the planets in our solar system, we talk about studying the moon, Mars, the asteroids, that's all astronomy. When we talk about studying other stars and exoplanets, that's astronomy. When we talk about studying the galaxy, other galaxies, the edge of the universe, that is all astronomy. When we talk about, uh, you know, so physics, physics is just, I like to call it, it's everything. <laughs> it's how the world works. It's understanding everything about how the world works. And we typically break that down into a couple of different Pieces. Let me pause uh, you real quick. Oh, sure. We have sure. a guest who wants to ask you a question, I oh, believe. Wonderful. George, how are you? George, how are you? Oh. Do you have a question for Adina? Oh, okay. So listen, we're always on a podcast here. We're live with Adina Mignona. I'm going to say. Perfect. I got Perfect. it. And it's all about science. So she's chatting all about her career in astronomy and physics and uh, software engineering. So um, the guests that come on are asking questions uh, for Adina uh, that they feel they'd like to ask. If you have one, um, please ask. If not, then I'll just take you off here and then we'll continue to go. Thank you for no questions. All right, thank you, appreciate it. All right, so continue, please. Sure, well, so physics is is really everything. Uh, it's about how the world works, how stuff works. Um, I like to break it up into a couple of different sub pieces. You know, we talk about um, mechanical stuff, which is, you know, gravity, um, that kind of kind of physical thing. We talk about electricity and magnetism, that stuff. And then we talk right. about thermal and heat. Okay. And I feel like those three things are kind of the, the fundamental stuff and everything else kind of comes from it. You can, you can take, I think any other science and reduce it down to like underneath it all. There's some right. physics. Interesting. So man, I have a lot swirling <laughs> around this brain about this right now. So astronomy, give me a good idea of the current understanding, because I was telling the audience before he got on, like science mm -hmm. is really as good as the time it's in the information that we have currently. Mm -hmm. This is a large question. I know it's a large question. <laughs> what is our current understanding of astronomy in terms of uh, how we find planets are, you know, what's going on in space currently? Again, I know it's a huge mm -hmm. question. Let's kind of highlights, you know. Sure. Well, there is a, a lot of stuff going on. And it's interesting that you just said about kind of the, it's related to the time that we're, we're set. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the one, uh, one of the most wonderful things about any science is that our understanding continues to increase. You know, what we we're always learning more, we're adding to our knowledge, which is, which is fantastic. So today, uh, astronomy, there's so many wonderful things going on. One of my favorites is regarding the study of exoplanets. Yes. And we're finding all these planets around other stars. And to me, that is what, what's amazing about that. So I was in college in the early to mid nineties. I had professors at the time, some of them who believed we were really never going to find planets around other stars, yes. that that was not going to be a common occurrence. And if we did, it would be rare. And it was 1995, I believe, which was the mm -hmm. first uh, one that was found. And then a few years after they started, we really started getting going. I might've had a whole different career <laughs> because right. I, well, because I might've gone into just trying to work on stuff related to that, had it already been a thing, but at the time it, it wasn't. So I think the exoplanets, uh, that, that's a, a huge, huge thing. This is the Kepler like project and all this. Kepler stuff. is, yeah. yep. One of the missions that helps mm -hmm. us study. There's Kepler, there's tests. Uh, there's some ground-based observatories that that help, and then the James Webb Space Telescope that's going to launch soon. I was just talking yeah. about this. I okay, hold on, pause real quick. Mm -hmm. So sure. I like the 20 minutes before I said I'm going to ask Adina about the James Webb Telescope. No lie, you can listen back to this because I don't think people recognize 
how important this telescope is mm-hmm. to our understanding of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's similar to the excitement uh, that we had when Hubble launched. Mm-hmm. Hubble was a, a revolution and the amount of data and information and insights provided us. So James Webb is like the next step up. It's the next level of that. And so uh, we're all really excited for, for that mission. Um, it helps that uh, my company is building the space, you know, built built it. I work for Northrop wow. Grumman and Northrop Grumman built it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to work on it. Uh. <laughs> um, I do other things, <laughs> but I still, um, I'm super excited for it to launch. I'm super excited for it to start um, collecting data. And I think, I'm not sure if one of the things that people, I don't know if they know, there is in Baltimore, Maryland, there's a Space Telescope Science Institute. And that's one of the primary organizations that collect that takes all the data and processes a lot of the data from all these different missions, right. and all and pretty much all of it is available um, uh, publicly. Like so, people yeah. can can see what is going on. This stuff isn't this stuff isn't hidden from anyone. Right. So tell everybody what the James Webb Telescope does. Like the difference between the Hubble mm-hmm. and the James Webb Telescope. I think that's really mm-hmm. important. Well, I think the the simple the simple explanation is really it is just the next generation, it's just more advanced. So it's going to be able to see deeper with more detail. Right. Um, and and that's it. I don't know, unfortunately, because I don't work on it, I don't know all the details <laughs> off the top of my head. Right. Um, but it's just uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing like I was I've been obsessed with this honestly I really have and mm-hmm. uh, that like able to get like atmospheric readings of planets, planets that are really far away. Like, that's that one seems of like the, actually mm-hmm. crazy to me. Yeah. So, well, yeah. but I mean, it seems crazy to us now, but if you can imagine like a hundred years ago, right. We didn't even know that like, you know, some of the, the very nebulous stars. you know, you took out a telescope and you saw yeah. some stars and they looked very fuzzy. We didn't know they were other galaxies. That was only a hundred years ago. Right. So, yeah, it's it's amazing just how much over time the stuff advances and how much more and more and deeper we can see in more detail. Yeah, that I, I just think that's incredible stuff. What's the future of astronomy? Like what's the where where what's the excitement in the astronomy community that people wow. are looking for? Well, again, I think I think exoplanets is one yeah. of the big ones. I'm sure there, there's <laughs> I'm sure there's more, uh, but I, I that's the the part that I follow uh, more okay. than anything else because I know that's what I that's personally what I'm excited about. Right. But right. Um, I have friends who are planetary scientists, so I know uh, you know Mars Mars exploration is is huge. Right. Uh, if anyone was following the earlier missions earlier this year, where we had the little Mars helicopter. Uh, going around, yeah, it's basically yeah. a little dra- drone. I mean, that opens up to uh, just a whole new level of exploration uh, on Mars because previously we send, you know, we send uh, the rovers, but they're limited right. to how far they can go on that the surface of the planet. This opens up like so much more, so we can do so much more exploration there. Right, right. I, I, that helicopter again. I think this gets a lot of attention in the circles mm-hmm. that people run in, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily it doesn't get a huge amount of, I would say national. I mean, there are national articles about it, but I'm not sure like the excitement people have mm-hmm. about it because it's not so tangible to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't definitely understand. Um, and it's, I guess, hard for me to, to judge whether or not people are excited because I'm, I'm certainly, I'm part of the community of people yeah, who we are right. excited. So to me, it seems like, yes, everyone is excited, but yes, I don't know the people who, who, who don't know. Um, and certainly, you know, through like, say my own social media, like I have, you know, my, my family is on my social media and yeah. during the Mars helicopter uh, flights, you know, I would repost stuff that NASA would send out and, and people that I know that I know this is not what they are excited about on daily basis. They were still looking at it and getting, you know, somewhat excited. So I think if the knowledge, you know, if this information is put in front of people, I think people will get excited if they know about it. Yeah, <laughs> I it think really so. is cool. Just to remind everyone, we're here with uh, Adina Mignona. I'm going to keep getting that right now. I'm going to yeah, get it right. That's awesome. Astronomer, <laughs> physicist, software engineer. We're talking all about science today. And if you want to ask her a question, please hit the join button. You're able to ask her a question about science. Uh, It's awesome. I was talking a lot about before we got on about um, kind of science literacy. And there's, I feel like there's a gap in Mm -hmm. that. It's kind of like, as uh, I have a a higher educational degree, you have all that stuff. It's like, we're, we're exposed to research studies. 
Mm-hmm. And and asking all the questions, you know, the size mm-hmm. of the study, who funded the study, where was it done, you know, the methodology. But the general public, I think, does, doesn't have that level of intimacy with it. So how can mm-hmm. we get better with that? Well, I think it does start, um, you know, with basic education. I think this is why you know, when anyone going through their normal public education, science is very important to include there, even if it's not something, it's one of those things where even if you do not imagine yourself as an adult going into a, a related field or or anything related, just having that basic understanding and appreciation, I think is very important. Yeah. And, and it's hard because I know even as a kid myself, knowing I was going or was interested in sciences. So then I would look at other fields, I would look at history yeah. and be like, why do I have to learn this? And now as an adult, <laughs> I appreciate the things that, you know, were not necessarily my core field. I appreciate history in a way I did not appreciate when I was a kid. Right. So uh, of course, you know, the, the flip side is going to be true. Someone who's interested in, in history or literature might look at science and be like, why am I going to, I'm never going to use that. Yeah, yeah. But so I, I think um, having an appreciation uh, and instilling an appreciation for everyone for just a well-rounded education is fundamental to just being decent, educated human beings all around. <laughs> right, right. For sure. I think that's, it's even people that like with math, you know, math mm-hmm. is like a lot of people are very bad at math. I was one of them growing mm-hmm. up. I'm like, I mean, I don't use a lot of it, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I understand the process of wanting to think differently about mm-hmm. things. So, I want to ask you this question. I've asked some other scientists this question. Uh, What is the, you know, there's so much information and so much talk about science today, Mm -hmm. whether it's good or bad. What do you think some of the challenges science is coming up against these days that science needs to do a better job of overcoming? I think explaining the nature of science. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a lot of us grow up uh, thinking that science is absolute that science does have answers because that's what we want. Everyone wants answers. And I I think a lot of people grow up because, you know, uh, let's think about, you know, back in the, this is a terrible, this might be a terrible example, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. You know, growing up, there were nine planets in the solar system. Right. There were (laughs) nine. Okay. That's true. (laughs) Well, but, but now we've evolved to just, you know, and, and uh, the, the folks who care and decide on the taxonomy of planets have said, well, okay, Pluto, no, we're going to do this as a dwarf planet. And now, by, by the way, there are actually a whole bunch of other dwarf planets. So the idea that science is, there are, are answers, but there aren't absolutes. And, and that is part of the nature of science, I think is an important concept for people to appreciate that we can we can work with the current understanding, yes. you know, but we have to be open to kind of that evolution of understanding. And, uh, and by the way, speaking, you know, with Pluto and the dwarf planets, I, I personally think that the fact that Pluto got quote unquote demoted yeah. uh, really elevated all these other objects in our system. The fact that now people know more about the dwarf planets, a friend of mine, her daughter was over, she's 11 and she knew all the names of the major dwarf planets. And I was like, I was very impressed because when I was a kid, I had never, you know, we had never heard of these, you know, Maki Maki and even the um, Ceres, the, which is a asteroid, but dwarf planet and Vesta, which is an asteroid, never heard of them. And she knew all of them. I was, you know, (laughs) that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really impressive. And, and I remember when the whole exoplanet thing um, was going on, I was very excited. I think people get excited. They think, okay, there's, there's planets that are, you know, quote, all these different plants we're finding, and Mm -hmm. maybe we'll find all these kind of Goldilocks planets that are at the right distance from their sun. And there could be life. What's our current understanding of that whole concept, these Goldilocks planets and how plentiful they may be in the universe? Yeah. So, um, this is, I'm not, I'm kind of more, a little bit of a follower, not, I'm not working on this, you know, day to day. So I I don't consider myself an expert, um, per se, but I I think the understanding, well, the concept of a Goldilocks region and Goldilocks planet still exists, but I think the understanding is evolving to, to say that, well, maybe that's not what's absolutely necessary. Maybe the parameters can be opened up a little bit. Um, because again, we, we really right now here on earth, this is the only example of life 
mm-hmm. and where life evolved that we we know of. And so so we kind of know of one set of conditions that kind of happened. And there really could be others. And so I, I think the, you know, what we're looking for is opening up a little bit more. Mm. That's the best way I think I can describe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, humans tend to do this with anything as we we base our assumption on things based off of the information that we know that exists. Yeah. If yep. there's oxygen, you know, nitrogen, all these things, well, we must have to have these conditions, water. Mm-hmm. But you're, what it sounds like you're saying is that we're evolving this idea that there may be life or things happening that don't correspond to what we see as yes. this. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is good. It's, that's the evolution of, and I think that's what's hard with science is, is this absolute, it's like, well, you said this, mm-hmm. so this must be true. Well, maybe right. true for the moment mm-hmm. that we're in, but that- But we're still learning. We're still learning. And, yeah. and, and I was telling the audience before, it's like that, you can take that to anything, any mm-hmm. form of science, exercise, physiology, patho- pathology, epidemiology, astronomy, mm-hmm. anything. It's mm-hmm. only as good as the current information. Mm-hmm. And so is your decision-making about anything mm-hmm. in life. It's only as good yep. as the information you have yep, absolutely. at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. what, are, what are some misconceptions people are having about science besides the absolutes that may be? Oh, wrong? gosh. Um, well, I, you know, I wind up, when I talk to people who are not in a field similar to mine, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of just basic things that I wind up explaining just, um, just how some basic things work, um, especially with space. We talk a lot about just the, the orbits of the planets, mm. uh, not the orbits of planets, orbits of satellites around our planet. Yes. Um, you know, there's different regions. Uh, and so a lot of terminology gets excused and a lot of people don't necessarily know the terminology. So I, I wind up doing, it's not so much misconception. It's just fundamental, um, education on this topic, just mm, because yeah. it's not something that if you're not exposed to it, you probably wouldn't know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um, but other, other great misconceptions, well, you know, the, the earth is not flat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, people, the earth is not flat. I'm serious. I'm serious. It's definitely not. (laughs) Um, There are those. uh, Other than that, I'm not sure I'm aware enough to know. Um, Like I said, I do a lot of fundamental education, but it's, I I would say that it's it's education, not correcting misconceptions. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I think like you don't know what you don't know, Mm -hmm. but the kind of the dangerous nature is that we have so much uh, online exploration of information. Mm -hmm. And I was telling the audience too, it's like, well, did you receive that from an editorial piece? Was mm-hmm. it a peer-reviewed research piece, a meta-analysis, longitude? Like you have mm-hmm. to know, have to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. And, think, and I think that's where we're that's where we're getting weird with this mm-hmm. time we're living in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, you know, critical thinking and critical evaluation. That's another skill that should be taught <laughs> at a young age. Um, I mean, we we I feel like we learned it when, when we were kids, when, you know, you're, you're doing a, a report or some kind of book yeah. report on something. And back in the day you had your, your source of information was the encyclopedia, right? You know, you had how to use it effectively. Well, now there's, a, there's Wikipedia, which I don't get me wrong. I love Wikipedia, yeah. but people still need to be able to understand that's a, a secondary or tertiary source of information. It's not right. the primary. It can lead you to primary sources and then to under, you know, understand the difference. I think that's something. And as my kids grow up, it'll be interesting to see, well, is this going to be in their normal public school education or is this something I'm going to have to instill upon that? You know, right. um, where are they going to learn that? Cause they need to learn that. Yeah, I actually, it's so funny you're saying this stuff. Like yesterday when I was previewing all of these talks this week mm-hmm. and I would say, you know, critical thinking is a huge skill that needs to be taught. And the, the kind of crazy thing is like, if you're real, if it's not being taught in schools, then parents are supposed to do it p- potentially. Mm-hmm. But what if parents aren't good at it mm-hmm. and they have very poor critical thinking skills? How does somebody learn? Well, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, uh, and they might not, which might be one of our problems. But I mean, this is really where, you know, I I do believe in public education and and schools should 
the burden really, unfortunately, is on the schools, but that's yeah. also good. I mean, that's one of the probably the best things uh, about the concept of having a free public education is that it, it is there. But, you know, that public education, unfortunately, at least in this country, it varies wild, you know, widely from from state to state, region to region. Yeah. So unfortunately, we can't uh, count on everyone really getting right. <laughs> The, the same quality of education. And I have to say, I'm, I'm very fortunate because I grew up where I grew up. Um, I grew up in New York, uh, specifically on Long Island. Mm-hmm. I went to a fantastic, uh, there was a fantastic public school system and where I am now in Maryland. I I've been very happy. My, my older son is only in sixth grade, but I've been very happy with the quality of education he's yeah. had. But now I also have the benefit of both my parents at the time, you know, we're college educated and of course, my my kids have me and my husband who are college educated. So, um, you know, so that's all. <laughs> it, it's kind of self, right. you know, kind of all self fulfilling. But uh, I, I love and support programs where, again, helping those kids through school who might not have all the rest of the resources around them too, because that's what's needed. For sure, definitely. So. Let's dive a little bit into, we talked about some stuff that we both have excitement about, but you have a different expertise. Talk a little bit about your specific expertise in science and we'll jump into that. Yeah. So uh, my career took an interesting turn very early on. I got involved in the software development uh, related to satellites. Mm. And so that's, uh, my career has been all about, about satellites, mostly commercial missions, uh, and mostly commercial missions that take pictures of earth. Um, that was where, you know, I got my start. Um, the software specifically is what we call command and control software or ground software. So if you look at, if you've ever seen on TV, like a, a NASA center, and you see, uh, these rows of computers with people hovering over them, watching the space shuttle or watching a satellite or or something, or even in movies, they have similar stuff. Uh, The software that those people are using, that's the kind of software that I've been responsible for developing. And the best thing about it is in order to do it, uh, you really have to understand very generally and and a lot of details of how the satellite kind of comes together as a whole and functions as a whole unit. And so it it gives you really a a broad insight into all aspects of it. So it's one of the reasons why I love that particular (laughs) part of the industry and doing that. So, so yeah, satellites (laughs) and, and controlling satellites. Do you ever get it? Well, okay. Give us an idea of how many satellites are out in orbit. So thousands of it. Yeah. Thousands. Um, Lately, in the last couple of years, with now a lot of the constellations of a lot of small satellites launching, where you have a constellation of 100, 600, uh, I, it, it's probably might be over 10,000. Wow. So I remember a few years ago, I think oh, there were, were numbers. Um, so NORAD tracks stuff, and it could be a, a satellite or it could be pieces of debris. And I feel like I remember you know, there were two different numbers. There was the number of like actual man-made like satellites operating satellites that were being tracked. And then like the number of just stuff. And they were pretty large numbers both around, but it's, it's thousands. <laughs> That's, oh, is there I a danger for up. there being this many satellites mm-hmm. uh, orbiting? Like what's the, explain the danger. Like, oh, well um, they can hit each other. <laughs> okay. Does that happen? I was like, um, it has, it has happened a couple of times. Uh, one that was in the news and, and actually I had a personal connection to, uh, there was, there's a constellation called Iridium and it would have been in 2000, early 2009, Iridium was hit by, I think it was a defunct Russian satellite. I'd have to go up and look, look at the news article, but the, um, the personal connection, this is a little funny is the, uh, one of the VPs at the time he's since retired, uh, who, who he had, I, I had worked for him at, at my company or at a previous company I worked for, I worked for him. He had left to go there and then this happened. But the kind of funny thing is when we were at the company I worked on, he, I think, didn't uh, necessarily believe that this was going to happen right. with our satellites. And so he goes to a new company and it happened with his new satellites. Right. right. So it's a little funny. Um, so yeah, it does happen. It is a concern. Um, so there are like, there's rules and regulations on if you are putting up a satellite, you agree to... Uh, on how to safely dispose it. Hmm. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone on the planet is abiding by those rules. It doesn't mean that accidents can't happen. Um, 
all that stuff. But yeah, it is a it is a concern. Are you involved or have knowledge of like satellites related to like Wi-Fi communications and uh, or no, you know, I, I, I look at this stuff related mm-hmm. to like Starlink and I see where like mm-hmm. the increase in like rural Wi-Fi mm-hmm. connectivity. Do you have information about that? Are you familiar with that stuff? Yeah, I, I have friends who work on some, you know, for some companies, I have some friends who work for OneWeb uh, and some uh-huh. other places that are, are involved in that. Um, so I, I kind of, have, I have a conception of how it works, but other than that, uh, I don't have any, any, anything useful. <laughs> Well, what's the future of satellite technology? How can it be? Mm-hmm. Well, what has it been? And what is the dream of what it could be? Oh, gosh. Um, I think you, anyone you ask, you'll, you'll get uh, wildly different answers. Mm. Uh, I think the way I, I'm going to choose to answer it is by plugging my current company and, and the project I'm currently working on, because I think it's, uh, it's completely fantastic. You know, so we, we launched these satellites up there and some of the communication satellites uh, that you know, provide your TV or some, you know, backbone communication services, they're generally meant to last like 10, 15 years or so. And the reason why uh, they don't last any longer is usually they run out of fuel to keep their, you know, to hold their location where they need to be over, over the planet. So um, my company, we started something a few years ago to extend the life of those satellites by attaching another vehicle to it. So instead of completely replacing that satellite, we send up another smaller satellite and it attaches and gives it more fuel, extends its life. So there's a, and, and on, there are some great videos of this on YouTube that is called, uh, if anyone wants to look up the mission extension vehicle by Northrop Grumman, we've done this twice. Uh, there's MEV one and MEV two. And now the project that I work on is the next evolution of that where my mission is called, a, it's the MEP, it's a mission extension pod. Pod makes it sound like it's a really tiny, teeny spacecraft. Right. Compared to what it's going to attach to, it is small, but it's still like the size of, oh, I don't know, um, not quite a refrigerator, maybe half of a refrigerator. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's small. Um, okay. Yeah. And so we're gonna send several of them up at a time and another vehicle with a robot arm will grab it and then install it into the vehicle that we're gonna extend its life. And there's a, a video of this too. So again, looking up Northrop Grumman and just mission extension, mission extension pod, and you'll see the animation of that. Um, and so, yeah, this is part of, I think, you know, some of the, the next leaps into what we're gonna do in the future, you know, um, extending the life of stuff that's already there is mm. I think a, a, a big deal. And so I'm super excited to be working on that. I didn't even know there was like a fuel component to this. I'm like, yeah. I'm like wait a yeah. minute. I thought you just put it up there. That sounds really dumb on my part, but I'm like, well, no, it's not. And not, not every single spacecraft needs to have fuel, but if, you know, for missions that are long lasting where you need to keep it in the orbit that it was intended to be, yeah. uh, you do need, there is a, a fuel component to, to keep it up there. Yeah. Wow. See, learn something new. I had literally had no <laughs> clue. I see, I see, this is stuff like, I think that's the point of all this is just learning about stuff you don't know. Mm-hmm. So I like, I, you said fuel. I was like, wait a minute, why fuel? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it's just incredible. We're here with Adina, Mid- man, I'm going to mess it up. Mignon- it's okay. Mignona. Mignona. Mignona <laughs> uh, and who is a uh, verse software engineer, astronomy, physics. If you have a question for Adina, please hit the join button. You can ask her a question. So I want to dive a little bit into science fiction. Yes. Which you know, you're right, which is like a super like I'm like a super science fiction fan. No joke. Awesome. It seems like you are too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start back again. Where did this love of science fiction come from? I know you said Star Wars in the background yep. and stuff, but let's dive yep. deeper into that. Well, yeah. So again, starting when I was a kid, uh, you know, yeah, Star Wars was probably the my earliest memory of anything um, science fiction and Star Trek, the original Star Trek mm-hmm. series. Uh, watching it in syndication with my 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 parents. Um, yeah, it 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 again. It's always been there. And to me, my love of science and science fiction dovetail uh, with each other because, you know, looking at science fiction, it's like, well, I want to make that happen. Yeah. And so that then here in the real world, where are we? Where do we want to try to get to? Um, you know, that kind of thing. So they go hand in hand for me. And so, I mean, you're an author, correct? So you write yes. science fiction stuff. So mm-hmm. what are some of the topics you've written about with uh, respect to that? Yeah, so my, I have a recent book out on Amazon. It's called Crazy Foolish Robots. 
Um, because of course, one of my loves and all this stuff are our robots. In fact, mm -hmm. um, really, I want to, you know, I work on satellites, but in a lot of ways, I really believe that satellites are little robots in space. Right. Because uh, if you think of a robot as something that goes out, you program it to do what it's supposed to do. Well, a satellite is a robot <laughs> in that way. So Crazy Foolish Robots, uh, it's meant to be humorous science fiction because that's one of the things I like. I like some levity, but yeah. while I, you know, also creating an interesting universe, interesting characters that, that people will enjoy. So there are a lot of robots. They are alien robots, but they're not bad. They're not coming here to try to kill or destroy us, which I think is a little bit uh, unique. Uh, a couple of people in the reviews have pointed out that it was, you know, nice to see robots that aren't trying yeah. to like just go around and, and kill everybody. But uh, I've been trying to, well, I've been working on the writing for since high school, since college. Uh, you know, I think it's also very common for people who are really interested in, in science fiction to at some point try their hand at writing it as well. You know, we enjoy it so much. We also want to create it. So I'm, I'm not, not unique in that area, uh, but I've been mostly trying to work on writing short stories. I thought for the longest time, I only wanted to do short stories, but then a novel came out and it's crazy foolish robots is the first in a planned series of four. So I'm, I'm almost done with number two. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. You know, you mentioned something about, I think I've had this discussion before, but I always love hearing other people's thoughts about it is this kind of dystopic invasion aspect mm -hmm. of robots or aliens. Why do humans always think that it's going to be a negative thing? Yeah, I don't think that that's um, necessarily true. Although the last decade or two, I just think dystopian fiction has been just pretty popular. I see. Uh, I, I'm not sure I know, I know why other than, you know, some of the books I've read are just really, really good books. Um, I don't know why it, it's been crazy popular. Maybe it's just people just expressing their own um, yeah. angst, <laughs> their own fears and concerns that, that things are going bad. Uh, but no, because there is, there's, I think plenty of relatively positive or just different enough. But now that I'm saying that I'm trying to think of an example of, I don't know, it's positive. like a lot of like, really like invasion where it's mm -hmm. like, we're enslaved, we're wiped yeah. out type of thing. I was just thinking is like, is that, is that the director or the studio? Is that the person who wrote this, do they really think this is what it is? Or is it just popular? You know, I, I think there's a, I think there's a mix and I think between, between books and between movies, um, you know, there's some different motivations there. Of course, in a, in a book where you're writing, you have a lot more freedom to invent anything yeah. where in a movie or TV show, you, you are limited to the practicalities of your budget. <laughs> Right. So you might have ideas that you can't implement because they're, they might be too expensive. Um, so I think there's, and in a book, you're, you're not limited in that way. Right. So I, I think there is a, a mix of that. And of course, you know, having elements of just drama and action, you know, to draw people in, you know, yeah. make it exciting. So of course, you know, things going wrong is where you get some drama and excitement. You know, if everything right. is really fine, well, where's the <laughs> excitement in that? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like music, you know, like artists create amazing music when they're in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. They're upset yeah. and people love it. And as I, I've talked to so many artists, it's like so hard to write great music when you're happy. Right. And I feel yeah. like it's like a very happy alien, like landing. It's like, okay, that's it. Like yeah. everybody yeah. works together. Like where's right. the uh, drama? Right. So oh, that's, so that's the thing is, so in, in my book in crazy foolish robots, uh, we have these alien robots, but the drama is there's just problems. And it's, so it's not yeah. that they're trying to, uh, they're against us. It's, there are problems that try to, that need to still get solved. Um, and again, it's, it's meant to be humorous, but I try to any element that I, I can take. And even though I don't consider it hard sci-fi, it's mm. still, I try to things that I know, details that are, are real, I put in, even if, even if no one is going to notice them, I yeah. still put them in. Um, and I still try to make sure it is consistent. Um, and as I work on book two, uh, one of my, my friends, who's also a fantastic beta reader, he, he had pointed out a couple of inconsistencies I had done that that's you know, mm -hmm. the point of, of the beta reader. But one of the comments he had is like, you know, he said, well, Adina, since you're using this to help educate people about computers and I'm like, 
am I really doing that? And I was like, yeah, I, I guess I am <laughs> because I have to explain yeah. some of the concepts that in there in a way that pretty much anyone can get. So it almost is like a little, <laughs> it's an unintentional tutorial on some yeah. computer concepts. <laughs> well, I think this is a good segue into robotics and computers. Mm -hmm. um, clearly there's, man, I've talked to a lot of AI people on here too. Mm -hmm. I just love all this stuff. <laughs> but I'd love to get your take on where we're at with computer science, technology, and robotics, where we're currently at, where do you think it's headed? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I am fascinated and I'm, I'm excited by where we are, especially, you know, as a kid, I wanted to talk to C-3PO or R2-D2. I know. Really R2-D2, right? R2 -D2, right? <laughs> well, well, C-3PO, he complained a lot. He was always upset. He was always unhappy where R2-D2 was a problem solver. And so R2-D2 to me is my first like robot love because, because of that. He was fantastic. And then Data came along in Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. And again, he's, he's a problem solver, you know, he, and he's, he's sentient. So, but he was created in this artificial, you know, he's an artificial intelligence. So that was definitely what motivated me to just be interested in, in this stuff. But at the time as a kid, um, I, I was one of those geeks who did learn how to computer, had a program at a young age. Cause mm -hmm. again, my, we had a computer in the house cause of my dad's work. Right. And so I learned, but I was very, very limited in, in how far I could go because, you know, this is again, this is the eighties. So there was no internet. You know, there was some bulletin board dial in right. things, but there was no internet. So if the adults around me didn't have the knowledge and if the knowledge wasn't in the library, then you're stuck. So I, I was basically stuck. Okay. <laughs> there were some AI concepts I was really interested in, but no one around me knew what to do. Um, so it kind of just faded in the background in terms of what I thought I would be doing for my career or whatever. It was just there. Skip ahead uh, several years to after uh, I'm going to, you know, like the late nineties, early you know, 2000s. And I, with the internet, I was able to learn about there's a, what's a programming language called AIML. It stands for artificial intelligence markup okay. language. And from there, I learned about the whole universe of, of chatbots. And uh, in fact, I entered some, I wound up uh, making some and entering some contests with it. And, and it was fascinating because then I was actually learning how, you know, where our limits are of how an AI could potentially think for itself. Um, which is really not very, especially if you, if you think of the R2-D2s, if you think of the data, who could really solve unique problems. We are, I feel, in real life today, a million miles from being able to do totally that. Totally agree. And everybody <laughs> I've talked to in this field says that same exact thing, yeah. not even close. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I have an Alexa. I love it. Uh, it's great. It can, uh, I love the voice recognition. Yeah. I love that it can answer questions and it can recognize, and it can recognize the difference between me and the other members of my household. There are a lot of amazing things, but they're very limited algorithms. They're following their pre-program. It's a narrow stuff. AI, right? I mean, yes, it's, narrow. it's yeah. narrow. That's a great, great way. They're great. And I think there's going to be a lot of interesting, um, things to come of that in the next like decade or so. I mean, they'll, be connected in more ways. They'll be able to do a few more things, but that concept of problem solving the way you and I can solve problems. I, I don't even know if I can conceive of that in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't think so. I mean, I, I mean, I've talked to people like this is all they do is work in AI and robotics. Mm -hmm. And, and I've talked to enough of these folks that they said the exact same thing that you said that yeah. it's, it's certainly way more science fiction Mm -hmm. than the reality of mm -hmm. this sentient being that all of a sudden realizes that it's aware of itself. Mm -hmm. type of thing, yeah. You know? Yep. Now I can program a chatbot to tell you and actually say the words I am aware of myself, Oh, I see. but that's not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So dive a little bit deep. You said there's some things, maybe the next decade or so, like more connections. What's some more specific things people can maybe look forward to Mm -hmm. to increase the scope of that narrow AI? Well, I think the concept of things uh, becoming, you know, smart, quote unquote, smarter in the mm. sense that, you know, I walk into my house, I walk into my room and I can just say, you know, turn on the lights, uh, 
start my car in the driveway, you know, do yeah. all those kinds of tangible things. Again, they don't require thinking, they require easier integrations. And a lot of that is, is there, it's just not necessarily easily accessible to, to people who don't have at least a little bit of tech savvy, because they're a little more complicated than I think, I think they'll get simpler and they'll get easier for like anyone to, to have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm always fascinated by that because I think our, our science fiction movies try to forecast our reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always do, I speak at conventions and stuff. Fitness is my field and, and all this stuff. And, and I talk about the rise of fitness and technology mm-hmm. and how, like, I remember watching, you remember this clearly back to the future. I'm 43. Mm-hmm. We're in the same age range. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking to needles on the phone and back to the future part two, mm-hmm. I remember being like, this is crazy. People are talking to each other <laughs> through the TV. Mm-hmm. Like that's the future. And mm-hmm. we're doing it right now. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, how insane is that? That wasn't yeah. that long ago, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but, and this is one of the, you know, I I tell people why um, just studying fundamental physics and learning things is important Mm -hmm. because, you know, this is all enabled by the fact that a couple hundred years ago, people started learning about electricity and magnetism. And when they started doing that, like people were like, well, why are you doing this? What, how is this going to help anybody? (laughs) And yeah, the realization of uh, the real use was a long way away, but it it did happen. You know, things did, did happen where today, you know, there's a lot of fundamental stuff that we're studying, like with like quarks and neutrinos and all these particles. And people are like, why are you doing that? What use it's going to be? And the answer might be, we might not know for another hundred years, you know, (laughs) like the concept of, uh, you can tell I'm very nerdy about this. Like I'm very, like the (laughs) quantum computing, Mm -hmm. quantum computing to me seems like another planet. Like, mm-hmm. how is it even possible? The qubits, and I guess there's like a heat component, it'd be hard to stabilize it, but that a mm-hmm. quantum computer could solve an equation that a regular computer would take hundreds of years, the quantum computer can do it like in a second. Mm-hmm. It just like blows my mind. But Thank yeah, but again, if you told the people like 60, 70 years ago who had yeah. the room size computers, everything that we would do with this like little cell phone <laughs> here, I mean, they would have probably been like, you're, you're crazy. That That's right. like a thousand years from now, you know? So yeah, who knows? <laughs> and that's what makes it so exciting. <laughs> now, do you think that technology is kind of like exponentially increasing at a level that's so fast that it's harder for us to grapple with the consequences of it? That's a, that might be the hardest question you've asked today. (laughs) (laughs) Getting deep here. Um, I, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. uh, And I don't know if it's necessarily the, the technology itself. Um, you know, obviously with social media, we're living in a very different world than we were when we were kids. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and it isn't necessarily a, a good thing. I mean, I I've commented to friends of mine that I am so glad that I went through my teenage years when, before social media Me existed. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, actually. Um, but the thing is, is that the technology's fault or is that just people or, right. you know, what has to evolve, you know, there. Um, so I, you know, cause I don't necessarily know it's the technology per se. Yeah. I think you know? it's, it's hard because anytime you add people into an equation, it becomes mm-hmm. messy on some yeah. level and what yes. are people's intentions and who are the kind of the, the mega corporations that hold the, the key to a lot of this and how do they evolve? I mean, I was mm-hmm. talking about like how a lot of these technologies started out as very simple things. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, let's just, I'm in college. I want to talk to other college students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then how, you know, it becomes this monster. Yeah. After that. And I just, it, it almost creates this, then it creates the sci-fi stories from it also Mm -hmm. and these things. So it's like, where are we headed? And, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, humanity was like the same. You could put one person from this, this time into another time and it'd be pretty much the same. And I'd be like, like really, really far back. I'm talking like really far back. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this like, Hey, people are just hunter and hunter and gathering for a really long time. You take them hundreds of years apart, probably fairly similar. Some, mm-hmm. but you would take somebody back from like 1920, involve mm-hmm. them into 2020. There's no comparison. Yeah, <laughs> to the time. Almost. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it'd be and hard for getting them to get quick, around. It feels like it's just, this is just my opinion. It feels like it's getting quicker. Like when I was growing up in the eighties, it felt like new stuff didn't come out all the time. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this is new. The movie theater movie yeah. came out like six, eight months later. Yep. Now it's like now, <laughs> boom, it better mm-hmm. be on streaming in like a month. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. No, no, I totally agree. And it's, what's interesting is again, having, having kids and watching them grow up and they have no... I mean, when we were kids, you couldn't pause your TV. No, you know, there was a commercial and that's when you went and you got your snacks and went to the bathroom. And if you didn't make it back in time, you didn't make it back in time. Right. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, interesting things, but it's also interesting that, you know, what they're interested in and what they want to watch or not watch or, or care about yeah. is different. Um, like my, my 11 year old is more into like YouTube videos and the people playing video games than he is to, to watching an actual show, watching an actual TV show. And I mean, he does watch some TV shows, but it, it yeah. is, it is not, they, they are not having the same experience growing up that we did by a long shot. <laughs> you ever see these kids, like they watch YouTube videos of people texting each other and stuff. Oh, I haven't seen that like, one it's yet. It's <laughs> so strange to me. And like, I mean, I get watching other people at video games. I did that in the eighties, like with Nintendo, mm-hmm. I would go to my mm-hmm. friend's house and watch he or she play a game. Sometimes you watch other people play the games. You know? Well, we watched other people play the games because we had to take turns. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You do that to t- use like five people. You're like, well, I can't. There's no like, you know, right. Only two joysticks here, you know. Right. But right. Now they just like sit and watch people watch games or watch other people like t- text. I saw that one time. I was at a client's house and I saw that. Mm-hmm. I was like, why are they watching people text each other? Like, yeah. The parents are like, I know it's so stupid. <laughs> I'll have to look. I'll, I'll have to look look for that. I, I think I feel like I'm I'm generally pretty aware of what my my kid watches, but I, I don't. So I don't think I've seen that. Not yet. It's strange, honestly. <laughs> but you know, I think people, uh, let me know what you think. I think sci-fi continues to be a gigantic, almost juggernaut business. And Moe's like, I think there's more sci-fi than there's ever been. And like, oh, and like I, big level, mm-hmm. like think about it. Dune, the remake of Dune mm-hmm. is coming out uh, on Friday. Mm-hmm. Invasion on Apple TV mm-hmm. is coming out. It's going to be a huge and foundation, Isaac Asimov's mm-hmm. foundation is out, which I've been watching like crazy. I mean, it's like I haven't started watching that yet because I don't have Apple TV yet. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it just for that. And I'm okay. telling you, it's that's it's, one of it's those criminal things. You know, it's like especially about space and, mm-hmm. and humans that far in the in the future and colonizing right. planets. You know, right. Yeah, no, I remember being, you know, young and in my, in my teenage years, like the late eighties. And yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, we were starved for content. You know, yes. there was not much. So anything that existed, it was like, Ooh, this is a, you know, awesome. And yeah, now there is just, there is so much, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. <laughs> it is hard to keep up. So you say you write about like alien robots. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts in general about, you know, astronomy and mm-hmm. other civilizations potentially? So I, I really do believe there's something out there, um, okay. whether or not we figure it out, uh, whether or not we have, yeah, have the technology to communicate or learn about it, whether or not it's a civilization comparable to ours right now, I don't know, but it just, I, I can't get past the concept of this, the universe and the galaxy is just so big. It can't just be us. You know, it, it just can't be, <laughs> that's just too, you know, I think it was in, in Carl Sagan and Cosmos said, you know, it's just, it would be a waste of space, you know, if it was just <laughs> us and, and yeah, that I have that feeling. So I have no proof other than the fact that we're here. So if we're here, then it could have happened somewhere else. And I, I liked, I really, you know, my, my greatest wish is that I live long enough to, to know yeah. for certain, but um, Yeah. Something's out there. <laughs> you ever seen the movie Ad Astra with Brad Pitt? No, I did not see that one. It really was on movie. my list. Okay. I was going to, there's a, there's yeah. something related to that. I was going to tell you, but it's a huge spoiler alert, oh, the, but I'm not I'm trying to think know. if I actually know the plot enough at this point. Um, no. Okay. Don't. <laughs> I, I don't want to tell you because if you're going to watch it, then it's gonna that will be my you. homework to watch soon. <laughs> yeah. Watch it soon. But, but. I would say I, I fall on both sides of things. Like mm-hmm. there seems it is so overwhelming the um, how large the universe is, how many planets we're finding. Something has to be out there. Mm-hmm. But I also wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't either. On the same, I kind of flip. I'm like, I don't know if there wasn't. They wouldn't. I don't know if it would disappoint me. 
Mm-hmm. But I also would be excited if there was all this teeming life all over the thing. It'd be Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean like, right. I don't know. I feel like I'm okay with both sides, but I really would like it if there was. Yeah, I, I would just like to, I would just like to know for certain, yeah, to have that kind of knowledge, I, I think. But, you know, it, it, it's just such a, not only is it such a big place, but if you think of the time, you know, the, yeah. the universe has existed for 14 to 15 billion years and our civilization has, has only existed for such a, a teeny, tiny, teeny portion. Time, right. So if you think about other civilizations, other people that have could come and gone multiple times, yes. you know, all right. So that's the thing is it's, it's has other life existed at some point or will there, like, I feel like the answer has got to be, be yes. But the question is, is like, well, are we ever going to find equivalent life, mm. you know, like another species that we can communicate that's similar enough that we can communicate that's at a similar level of sophistication um you know it's all those things and that that's probably a you know needle in a haystack um yeah yeah i just want to live long enough to know (laughs) that would be i I think so many people that's the love of sci-fi and you see you know exploration Mm -hmm. and other civilizations like it would just be so cool to know Mm -hmm. Yes, that other things are going on. But then I get the science is daunting to me. Mm -hmm. And you think about we are nowhere near the technology we need to travel these vast distances, the Mm -hmm. ocean of stars, even the closest places feels impossible. That's what feels hard to me. It's like we can't even get to Mars right now. I mean, we've been Mm -hmm. to the moon. Right, (laughs) right. But again, a couple hundred years ago, this kind of communication that we're having right now, yeah. <laughs> you know, face-to-face on a screen, you know, and we're yes. different places in the country. I mean, this was, this was impossible. It's you true. know, we would have been burned at a stake a couple hundred years ago for even yeah. suggesting that it might happen someday. <laughs> <The> heretics <were> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it just, you know, it's hard, like the human mind sometimes hard to overcome these blockades mm-hmm. of like, okay, well, why haven't we done more? That kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. Like, why <laughs> have we done a lot? Like in the past 50 years, why did we, we get so involved in the, the space race and the moon and all this stuff? And then it's just like, all of a sudden we're experiencing mm-hmm. this renaissance and we have reusable rockets now. And we're mm-hmm. trying to like, okay, like what happened? Yeah. Well, you got, you got some people who had a lot of money and motivation and they're willing to, to, to spend their money on this stuff. So, which I think is fantastic. Um, cause I think, you know, what they're, you know, taking their own money to, and to forward all kinds of technology, um, cause not just the rockets, but other things as well. Um, one of my favorites is, you know, so Paul Allen, he was one of the founders of Microsoft. He passed away a few years ago, but he's responsible for, uh, there was a product, uh, a company for a while called Strata Launch. So they were making a very large airplane. They were going to launch rockets from underneath. But, you know, part, that was just like one of all these very interesting projects that he was funding. And if you read his autobiography, he talks about, yeah, being fascinated by all this stuff as a kid. And well, now he's an adult and has money. And so he can, he can <laughs> do this and he can, and he's helping like so many so much, uh, even if, if it doesn't seem tangible, even if the results don't seem tangible today, which I think a lot of people get upset because like, well, why are they spending their money on this? We have so many problems here. It's like, well, helping to just advance us helps here as well. It it does. It helps everywhere. (laughs) And we can't rely on the governments to to do all this because the governments are our tax money, which should be helping people. So, you know, um, so I think it's great that these people want to spend their money this way. I mean, I think it's inevitable, um, much like found Isaac Asimov's foundation, it's, I think it's inevitable that in a far, far future that humans are colonizing other mm-hmm. planets, developing the technology to jump space, create ways to, and essentially fold space and move mm-hmm. to other portions of the galaxy. I just, I just don't think I'll ever be around for that. Yeah, but, uh, it's. It's no. definitely far away, but you know, we, we have to be a multi-planetary species. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're a single point of failure sitting here. Correct. <laughs> I mean, Correct. let's assume everything was perfect in the sense of we were all good to each other. We were good to the planet and everything was great. You know, an asteroid can still come and wipe us out That's or true. the sun could still explode. So we're, we're kind of a sitting duck. 
Yeah. What's this sun so, explosion thing? I mean, I know about the sun burning yeah. up. I no, don't no, no, it's not going to don't, don't worry. Don't, don't worry. But I You're mean, scaring you know, people. Sorry, I don't, want, I don't mean to scare anybody. But, you know, someday uh, that's part of the life cycle right. of, of yeah. stars is to eventually go nova. We're talking about bazillions of years from now. So no right. one should worry. But the point is, is uh, assuming, you know, we don't, we don't uh, destroy ourselves <laughs> on our own. Um, there are other ways that it could happen. So we need to, we need to go other places so we can survive. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's inevitable. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's just, you know, the science eventually will get to the point where mm -hmm. these type of technologies will be available yep. um, for that. Uh, it's, it, but I think it's also interesting of the, the science happening on earth and mm -hmm. how we're moving forward that it feels like science is trying to make our lives easier in many ways too, mm -hmm. with all the technologies. But do you ever think that there's a trade-off to that for making life a little bit, e well, a lot easier in many ways and many developed places, the increase in technology and sometimes decrease other things as well. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that there is, our lives are both in some ways easier and safer, but in some ways more complicated. Uh, mm. You know, if I think of all the things I need to manage or think about to manage the household, um, there's certainly like the number of different types of bills I have. You know, mm. my parents didn't have an internet bill. <laughs> I have an internet <laughs> bill. You know, they, they might have had for a few years a cable bill. Other, yeah. They didn't have that. They had a telephone bill. They, they had a yeah. telephone bill, a water bill, an electricity bill. Yes. You know, and, and oh, and the, uh, sorry, gas and a gas bill too. Yeah. But you know, we've got we've got all that plus an internet bill, plus a cell phone bill, plus <laughs> streaming things, plus this, yeah. plus that. But the, so there's a lot more to manage these days. Yeah. But I, I like to think, to some degree, um, it's better. I mean, certainly, just having electricity, having clean water, all those things are uh, are wonderful and things that we really shouldn't be taking for granted. For sure. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there are always, and should be improvements to, you know, our electricity and electricity sources and making sure we have, have good water. Um, you know, we, we take a lot of that for granted and don't know what's actually going on behind the scenes and the right. technology development that's happening that enables us to continue to have that. So yeah, uh, it's a, it's a double-edged sword for, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I feel that's kind of goes back to what I was saying is kind of like, we create so many things so quickly now mm -hmm. is that there's, there's always kind of these unintended consequences of it, or we don't like look ahead and say, maybe we'll create this and put parameters around mm -hmm. it. It feels like we just create a bunch of stuff and mm -hmm. go, well, I don't know. I didn't know this was going to happen, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, type of thing. Right. You know? But I think that's always been, I mean, that's not new. Uh, you know, that's always been the case. Um, I, you know, I think maybe a good example is just how food has developed and, and mm. food products have developed. They developed without knowing the necessarily good or bad, and will eventually realize that that there was some some bad. <laughs> so we yeah. needed, you know, like the FDA to help regulate that. You know, so there's always been, I think, some some good and bad to stuff that that's not new. Yeah, it's that's an actually interesting perspective. I think it feels like a. I, maybe I'm hypersensitive to it this mm -hmm. time as it feels like it's just so, so much, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things in the past. If I critically think about it, that have been created that we didn't think about the consequences mm -hmm. of it yeah. until, oh, absolutely. you know, it really hit, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that's true for anything, any, any, you know, buildings or roads that were paved a bazillion, you know, many right, years right. ago, like, no, like people just did what they needed to do. And, and yes, and the consequences were later <laughs> or not thought about. We're not known. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's kind of like you were saying about your expertise in satellites. It's like, okay, is there a lot of thought that besides, we know we talked about the mm -hmm. dangers. Is there a lot of thought that goes into the dangers or is it more of a reactionary thing in your field with it? So I think there, after, you know, the, the years of experience that we've had, uh, you know, there's whole sub pieces of the field where we look at, uh, like the reliability of our components. And we talk about risk, risk management, risk tracking is a big part of, of satellite development. Yeah. Um, so, so there is a lot, but it, it comes from experience, you know, it comes from the experience It's like, well, we, we need to think about this because we know if we don't, things can go wrong. Yeah. Oh, it makes a lot yeah. of sense. Um, man, this is, I want to respect your time, especially, I mean, we have been about an hour here. This, 
So fascinating. I, I'm telling you, I love talking about science, science fiction. Me too. You got to watch those <laughs> movies though. You gotta, you I, will. I will. I will. I'm just, it's, there is, that's the problem. There's so much content today. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> Paralysis <laughs> by all these different streaming platforms mm-hmm. and all these different things. And actually you're right. There's so much content out there. Mm-hmm. I also want to say there's a lot of bad sci-fi out there too, by the way. I mean, there's there some is. really bad cheesy <laughs> effects and things. Not mm-hmm. good. But yeah. there's also some incredible visionaries. And I, I'm in uh, foundation. If you wind up watching that, I listen to um, like the podcast about foundation and the creators, mm-hmm. they went to like mega amounts of leaps to try to get mathematicians, physicists on board to create authentic numbers related to space mm-hmm. and all nice. that. And I think that's just amazing. Nice. Like to that, I love that detail. I like that about um, Interstellar when I watched mm-hmm. that and I, I learned about it with, I, I can't remember the guy's, his name is Kip. Kip Thorne. Kip yeah. Thorne, yeah. Yes. And the whole thing about time dilation, like it just like blew my mind how mm-hmm. accurately they depicted that. Well, what I didn't know when I saw the movie originally is I really didn't appreciate his involvement. So Kip Thorne is a, he's a Nobel prize winning physicist out of Caltech. Uh, He's a theoretical physicist, which means he deals with like thinking about black holes and all kinds of fun stuff. And so I've known about him my entire career, you know, back into college, I had read some of his, he had written a couple books for, for, for people um, just about like black holes and things. Um, But also my advisor in college and him were caught where they went to school together. So I, I'd been aware of him um, forever. I I didn't really know about his involvement until after the movie. And then he, he's he wrote a book to kind of describe the making of the movie from his point of view. And he was basically like the way the movie started was he was talking to like a producer friend say, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could make a movie that was based really on what we know today and kind of go from there. And uh, I think it was Chris Nolan or John, one of the Nolans that worked with him, they, they worked really well and really hard to, to take really what we know today about theoretical physics and extend it. So without, without violating anything we actually know. Um, So it's a great movie and a great book to read, to understand like the difference between what, where, what, what do we really know or believe we know today versus where the fiction starts in the movie. So, and and a great way of tying in theoretical physics with a story about a father and a daughter. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, uh, and of distance and time Mm -hmm. and, the space and humanity all wrapped into one mm-hmm. the emotion and that that just got to me about mm-hmm. that i was like man it's so masterfully done yes to do those yep. things um and black holes and i mean i'm into black holes too <laughs> I, I think i'm into all those types of i just like i just think it's just so out there for me it's so literally it is yeah <laughs> it's out there and it's out there it's so crazy but thank you for coming out here on this and spending some time with me and, and doing, thank our you for having about. me. Yes. It's been my pleasure. And, uh, I, I hope that the audience learned a lot. I mean, I learned about fuel for satellites. Honestly, I was like, what tick, 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 boom, <laughs> excuse me. <I'm> like, <laughs> There's just so much to learn. So I, I hope people will just, you know, take some time to, to think about stuff, learn yep. something new, uh, appreciate all of this. Most definitely. <laughs> well, thank you for your contribution to science, humanity, keep doing great work, and uh, we'll be in touch. Great. Thank you. At Kroger, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Kroger app and save from wherever today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit mfm.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.